As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Just want to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Very excited for our December co-host this month. We haven't had anybody who's coached the Islanders on this program before, and so we're very excited to welcome the Islanders coach from 2008 to 2010, a longtime coach uh, in the NHL and the AHL, played in the NHL way back when. We might even get to a little bit of his time with the Quebec Nordiques. Scott Gordon joins the show. Scott, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Arthur. Well, I want to start, uh, you know, nostalgia is big around here now that the Islanders have opened a new arena. They're they're in a very different place than they were when you were coaching them. Um, how do you look back on your your time coaching them? It was uh, it was a couple years, one that was not so great and not very uh, not very well supported, I guess, with a roster. And then you had John Tavares's first year. And uh, what uh, what do you look back on? Uh, from your perspective that you learned or that you did, you know, in your years as the Islanders coach? Well, I, I can honestly say that uh, <laughs> when I started that first year, I wasn't ready for it. Not, uh, not the circumstances that uh, it happened anyway. Um, you know, you, your first coaching opportunity, the, the one thing that uh, you, know, you hope you have is uh, goaltending. Um, you know, that can get you through a lot. You know, hide some mistakes, make you look a little bit better as a coach, and uh, help you build some trust within the, the team. And and one of the first things that uh, I was told um, that I wouldn't have to worry about was goaltending, uh, because Ricky uh, DiPietro was just coming off a All Star year, and uh, he was trending upward. And and then you know, I think my first year we had him for five games, so you know, it was a, a tough way to get started. Um, you know, that first year we, we had, I, I think half the team, you could divide it down the middle where, uh, half the team was under 22 and the other half was over 30. And a lot of the guys that were over 30 were, were, you know, pretty much finishing up their careers. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, obviously the guys that were under 22, a lot of them were, were just getting started and, and beginning their careers. So, you know, we didn't have that bridge between the, the two groups that first year and, uh, and compile that with all the injuries 
you know, there were just a lot of hurdles and, uh, you know, having to, to deal with a lot of things that um, I don't know that many coaches are, are used to, but certainly not a first year coach. Um, there is one Islander still an Islander that you coach then and you, you know, Josh Bailey was just drafted and, and jumped right in as an 18 year old. And um, I think that's something that's been debated pretty, uh, pretty intensely over the intervening 13, 14 years, whether, whether Josh Bailey was ready for that, that time in the NHL, um, how it affected him. How did you experience your, your couple of years with him as a teen, when he was a teenager? You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't, th- I don't think the plan was that he was going to, going to stay and start the year with us, but I, we were so thin at center and, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things where he wasn't, um, you know, he, he performed well enough to, to, you know, put it into consideration that he was going to stay. And, uh, you know, obviously first year player, 18 years old, you're going to have your hurdles, but, um, I always found him to be a receptive, uh, person, uh, you know, good attitude, um, you know, and, and with all the 18 year olds, same thing with John Tavares, their first year, uh, a lot of it is just strength. Um, you know, they, they obviously have skills and, and skating ability, but, uh, going up against men, you know, I, I, I can remember watching Chris Pronger and, uh, Chara just, you know, physically abusing, uh, both those guys at eight, as 18 year olds. And as a coach, you're trying to keep that away from them and protect them and, and put them into good situations where they can succeed. And, uh, you know, overall, I, I thought Josh did a good job of handling that. You also had uh, a couple of guys, Matt Martin, and obviously uh, we were talking about Tavares. He's not a more, he's not a terribly popular subject on this podcast or with Islander fans these days, but um, his first year there was, you know, the, the, the draft that summer was obviously had a lot of hype around it. And that first year had a lot of hype. Um, you guys improved by, uh, I think it was 19 points from the previous season. Uh, I think I'm sure Dwayne Rollison being there helped that too, um, in net. What was, what was the thing that stood out to you the most about Tavares as, as an 18 year old? Well, the, for me, the biggest thing that, um, stood out was when he was an 18 year old, uh, you know, I, I found that everything he did in the offensive zone below the top of the circle, like to me, that was his strength. And, you know, when I saw him play when I was in Toronto and that would have been probably three years after I had had him that full season, I only had him for 15 games, second season, and he was stronger, but I, I saw a different level of, of skating and strength um, power that I hadn't seen uh, the entire time that I was with them. And, and I was really impressed with how much uh, he had improved in the time that he had to put into uh, building up his body and, and getting to the point where you could see the significant strides that he had made in his game. And, and now it's like, it wasn't just about what he was doing below the top of the circles at an, as an 18 year old, it was what he was doing up and down the ice. And it was great to see, uh, you know, happy for him, you know, again, like uh, to his credit, um, you know, he had to make some adjustments uh, going from junior and, and into pro and having to deal with playing against men. And, um, I, I remember him coming in his second year. Uh, I think the first, it might've been the first, he was right at the beginning of the season or maybe the first couple of games, but him saying that uh, he, he really wanted to focus on his defense and, and be a plus player. He didn't just want to be considered an offensive guy. And, 
and I thought that was a you know a great sign of maturity that uh, you know you don't often see too many younger players that they're worried about that they're more worried about their points and you know that really stuck out in my in my mind and uh, there were a couple other things too that uh, you know like I, I found him to be a guy that you know if you challenged him uh, you know there was a certain uh, situation with the workloads and uh, what he was doing compared to his the other centers on the team. And when I presented that to him, like he took that personally and went out and got better at it. And, um, you know, we, you know, you don't always get that from, you know, the guys that are the, the cream of the crop. Sometimes they just want to do it their way. And I, I always found John to be a guy that uh, was you know willing to get better and, and work at his game. And uh, that's, that's one of the things that I appreciated the most. You weren't there for, the success that would come, you know, a, a few years later, but a lot of the guys that were a big part of the success of the, the Islanders, um, you know, maybe 2013 and then further on 2014, 15 guys like Kyle Opozo, like Franz Nielsen, uh, Andrew McDonald, Mark Streit, you know, those were guys that came in under your watch. Um, you know, when, when you see them have success, obviously it doesn't feel good that it's happening for a different coach, but do you still feel like you and, and, Dean Chenowth and Scott Allen played a role in, in those guys kind of being part of a core of what became a, a pretty, you know, a pretty decent perennial playoff contender for a little while there. Well, I mean, you, I guess you do a little bit, but I, I think that honestly, if you, if you looked at all those guys that you just mentioned, they're all high character people, people that I consider have high character that, that uh, I think they would have trended that way no matter what. And um, you know, as much as you, uh, you know, it might feel good to take credit for it. I, I, I still think that no matter who's the coach that they were, they were going to get there. And, uh, you know, they certainly have, they all had, uh, varying levels of success. Um, but one thing for sure is I, I think they're, they're, they're great people and they had good attitudes and, and, uh, I'm happy for all of them. Um, you were, you know, it's interesting to think about now and Islander fans probably have, have blocked it out a little bit. I don't know if you have just the, the experience of being around the team for you being part of the organization when Charles Wong was, was running it then and kind of that in between time uh, before Tavares came and then right after he came when the team was not quite as uh, financially uh uh, free as they are now under Scott Malkin and John Ledecky and, and they have a new arena, which, you know, Charles had always pined for. And, and it was a very lean and mean front office run by Garth Snow. You know, you've been in different organizations over the years. Was that experience kind of a unique one? And, you know, how do you as a coach kind of get people through that uh, when maybe they're, you know, guys that have, like you said, veterans that have been on other teams that maybe have been treated a little bit differently or seen a different operation. And they're, they're now on a team that's run a, a, in a little bit of a different way. No, I, I never really thought too much about all that stuff. What other, what was going on with other teams. And I, I mean, I'm sure there was, uh, you know, some of the players who would come from other organizations and had different experiences, but, you know, by my second year, there was, you know, our older players were probably the guys that uh, that had been with the honors for a while, or they were younger players and, and really didn't know anything different. Um, you know, I I I always thought we were treated well. I I never I never really thought much about it. Um, I think the one thing that um, has certainly changed in probably the last maybe five, six, seven years is 
I think a lot of te- teams put a lot more investment into the players' needs, whether it's nutrition, whether it's uh, off-ice training, uh, facilities, travel, uh, meals. You know, I mean, when we when we, I, I don't even think we had uh, my last year. I'm pretty sure we didn't even have uh, you know any anything as far as nutrition, you know, going on as far as breakfast, lunch, or, and now like the, the the guys are pretty much fed all day. And, uh, not just, you know, something from a sub shop down the street, but, <laughs> you know, food that is, is prepared the, the right way and, uh, has nutritional value and, and, uh, really like the players now, it, you know, they're, they're given the tools, all the tools to be successful. And I, I think as, uh, an organization, the NHL, you have to compete with all the other teams because everybody's doing it now. And, you know, I, I went to, when I went to Toronto, there was quite a difference between being in Toronto and, and, and being with the Islanders, you know, from the facilities and, and what they spent on the players. And I, I think that's all kind of leveled out with all the teams now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we'll stop reminiscing about your love for Iceworks and Sayaset, Scott, and uh, move on to um, the current Islanders and, you know, they're not playing right now. They were supposed to play tonight against the Flyers. Obviously, they're in a COVID pause. Um, you and Lehigh Valley, the team that you coached for the last six years, the Flyers affiliate, uh, had to deal with a COVID outbreak kind of early in the in the very shortened AHL season last year. And that was before vaccines were widely available. So I'm sure the experience was a little bit different. But um, when you see what's going on with the Islanders and that trying to play through some cases and all that stuff, you, are you thinking, uh, you know, you have a, must have a lot of sympathy for what Barry Trotz is going through, but also, you know, can you kind of take us through how you have to go about getting ready to coach a game and prepare your team to play a game with also the, the protocols and safety guidelines that are starting to be put in or, or other things that you might not have to normally worry about as a coach? So, you know, we had, we, I think we had two minor breaks um, on false positives uh, uh, I think New Jersey, or it was, they were playing in New Jersey, but it was Binghamton. They, they had uh, a false positive. So that, because the, the guy played the first period, uh, we actually had to miss a week and we didn't have any, any guys with symptoms or, 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 uh, negative, um, positive tests. Sorry. Um, and then I, I think it was in April where we actually had some guys that, that did come down with COVID and, and 
you know, the, the first two times it was, it was nothing major. Everybody was healthy. So once we did get back on the ice, we were, we were good to go. The hard part was the, the last, the last one in April where we had a stretch of uh, time where we weren't playing a lot of games and uh, all of a sudden we, I, I don't know how many guys there were, but we had a group that was tested positive. Uh, one of the coaches was tested positive. And uh, the, the, the biggest challenge is everybody that comes back from that comes back at a different um, uh, state, you know, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I had uh, COVID in, in, in August of uh, this, this, this past August. And uh, it was 10 days of the same thing and just being wiped out, no energy. No headache or or uh, uh, taste was fine, smell was fine, but all I wanted to do was sleep, and uh, I didn't have any congestion, a cough, or anything like that. Uh, but then, you know, somebody else might have different symptoms, and so, you know, when you're trying to put together a practice and or put together lineups, and you're trying to figure out, you know, where guys are at, you know, everybody's situation is different, and. You know, you're you're going into a game like we came back from it. We played our first game, and uh, I, we we lost. And I, I don't remember what the the score was, uh, but I the one thing I I do remember is we we had guys with that didn't have any energy that just played uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of practice time. So we and we plus we didn't have numbers, so we you know we had to get guys into it and get them you know at least make some strides towards getting in sh- back in shape or feeling like, you know, they had their legs underneath them. And then we had other guys who've been sitting around who, you know, they might've had four or five days of practice. Whereas the other guys, you know, they didn't have any days of practice or one day of practice. So, you know, those are the challenges because everybody that comes back from that is going to come back at a, at a difference in a different uh, state. So, um, and the, you know, you, you ice a lineup and I, I can remember our owner coming down and disappointed with the guys that, that played. And I'm like, you know, realistically, it's, you got to sympathize with the players here because they're not all, they're in uniform, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're ready to go. They haven't even had the chance to, to be able to get up to the, the standard of play that they had before COVID. So that to me was the hardest part. And in the Islanders case, uh, the four games that they did play with kind of a, a makeshift lineup, you know, you as a coach, both at the NHL and AHL level, obviously the, the communication part is key with your counterpart, either in the AHL or the NHL. Um, when you've got a, you see a situation where the Islanders are putting four, five, six guys that are guys that Barry Trotz and the coaching staff haven't seen in, since training camp, not just into your practice, but straight into your lineup. How do you how do you go about preparing for that? Well, that's you know, like that's one of the things when I was watching some of the games. I, I watched them after they were played. And, and so I go back and you know, watch replays and all that and, and uh, do it on my own time frame. And, you know, the, I didn't even realize it until uh, they, they posted the guys, the lineups in the honor broadcast of, uh, I think it was the, the last game they played um, and how many guys were actually out. And, you know, to think that you're missing uh, Chara, uh, Char Green Pulak and uh, missing one. Yes, you know you're you're talking about some some pretty good defenders, some some great experience. They made the comment that uh, Hickey had more games of experience than the the five other defensemen, and he's only got 400 games, 400 plus games, and right. 
then one of the guys, uh, Mayfield, I think has 300. So you're, you know, you're as, as much as you want to say, well, you know, we just got to go out and play our game and, and, uh, play the island away, whatever it is at the end of the day, you've got four guys that are in the lineup that, uh, you know, if they're doing a normal circumstance, you might have one or two and you can, you know, basically uh, spot them in at the appropriate times. Well, that that's not even an option. They, they got to go out there and play. And, and, um, and, you know, one of the things when I was watching these games that I've, I've always admired about uh, Barry Trotz's teams is their ability to not beat themselves coming out of their zone. And uh, the one thing that became pretty apparent to me you know, with the, the the subtractions of some of these guys on defense that they had was uh, they had a harder time getting out of their zone. Like there, there wasn't that uh, fluidness that, you know, go back at the puck and come out. There was a lot of, you know, dumping it out and chipping it out. And, um, you know, you can have the best forwards in the world, but if you're not getting the puck to the forwards in good situations, it's going to make it that much harder for them to be effective. You know, uh, you don't think about, you know, past that, a guy's got to reach for, he's got to slow down for, uh, it's in the feet, it's behind him, uh, versus the pass that uh, is on the tape hitting the guy in full flight. You know, there's a big difference between the, the end results of uh, how that's going to play out. So, you know, to me, that's the, the, the biggest thing now is that they've got that challenge of, uh, you know, getting, I think, a stronger core back on D and, um, you know, obviously missing – Lee Bailey and Nelson, those are uh, three pretty good forwards. And, um, you know, that that's going to have a big hit on your power play. And just from an experience standpoint, uh, having guys that are, you know, going to do the right things when they need to be done. Now the Islanders have one goal in the three last three games they played scored by a guy who, you know, very well. And Andy Andrioff, who you had for a couple of seasons in Lehigh Valley, um, you know, you pointed out a key difference, which is you can bring up the Andy Andrioffs and the Richard Ponicks of the world and spot them in at forward. And it's, you know, you get a lot of energy from those guys and you can get a decent forecheck, but if they can't get there with the puck because you have so many inexperienced defensemen, then it doesn't matter who you've got out there at forward. But um, when they're struggling the way that they are to score goals and not really generating anything off the rush because it's so disjointed, uh, do you kind of, see what Barry's trying to do by having guys like Andrioff in the lineup repeatedly that you just have to kind of grind out as many ugly ones as you can grind out when, when the, there's no flow in your game. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get your goals. You know, you got obviously the power play and then you've got the rush and then you have uh, offensive zone play and um, you know, more times than not, your best chances are going to come off the rush, you know, as long as you're creating them. Um, the one thing that uh, a guy like Andrioff does is he goes to the net. Like he's got a willing to stand in front and, you know, you see him score that goal with a nice tip and taking away the eyes of the goaltender. But, you know, I think one of those, the one thing that, uh, you know, I, I, I heard this a couple of years ago when they were talking about one of the changes that the Bruins made uh, when, when Bruce Cassidy took over, um, was be, becoming less reliant on getting the puck low to high and working more at getting the pucks to the net, you know, coming out from behind the net, uh, or if, you know, you're skating up around the net and starting to head up 
the boards, thinking more in terms of getting the puck to the net and getting people there. And, you know, I, I, I've watched Boston play a lot and, uh, I've always, I, I've always respected the job that uh, Bruce Cassidy has done and their ability to uh, generate offense through that. Uh, they went from being two and a half goals a game uh, before he took over to three and a half goals a game that year. And um, a lot of it stemmed from the fact that they were getting the, the puck to the net. That's how they, they run their power play. There's they're you know, you don't, they're not necessarily looking for the big one timer or that, that big home run play on the power play. They're, they're looking to get, pucks to the net with numbers to the net and um, they do that five on five. And and so when you think about, you know, struggling goals, uh, struggling to score goals, you know, this is one area that, you know, like I, I always talk to my players about like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that uh, you've got to hold on to the puck and find a better option. Sometimes the best option is right at the net and whether it, uh, you know, like you, when you think about it, if you're, if you're sitting on your bench and the puck goes near your net, there's this anxiety that comes over you as a player and a coach that this potential that, that, that puck could go in when a guy's skating up the wall and full control of the puck and moving away from the net, there's starts to be an easy, easiness that comes over you. And, uh, guys don't think of it in terms of from an offensive standpoint, but they recognize it defensively. And, uh, you know, so, so sometimes it's just a mindset just to, to have that, you know, thought process that uh, if, I'm, if I'm close enough to take this to the net, you know, it might not get any better than that. And, you know, if you have that uh, mindset, you're going to force the opposition to play a little bit lower. They don't get out of the zone as quick uh, to chase down pucks that are getting dumped out and um, maybe loosens up the coverage for the defenseman when you do put it out, out top. Um, so there's a, I think there's, there's some stuff there offensively that, uh, you know, you have to have a mindset for and, and, you know, to go back to Andy, like he's that type of guy, like that's the one thing I, I can say having him that when he played well, that's what he was, he was doing. And, and, you know, I, I watched, uh, uh, that was the one thing that I saw that was a common denominator with, uh, uh, Pittsburgh and, uh, Toronto, um, uh, they had a willingness to get to the net and get the puck to the net and uh, you know, different, they, they did it different ways coming out of their zone. Uh, but the bottom line is there was this mindset that they were going to get the numbers there with the puck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're just talking with Scott Gordon about uh, some of the Islanders' woes in the last few weeks. Now, we talked about some of the call-ups and obviously the difficulties they're having on defense being as decimated as they've been. Up front, you know, when you see guys like Matthew Barzal and Anthony Beauvillier, Cal Palmieri, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, you know, they don't look like themselves. And that can certainly have a lot to do with who they're playing with um, and the roles that they're playing with. When, when you have guys out, or a team that's struggling, I'm sure the experience for you as a coach when your your senior guys or your your most skilled guys try to do you know twice or three times what they normally do, which always ends up resulting in nothing, 
almost always. Um, how do you kind of get that out of your, your veteran? You know, the, the instinct is obviously we have a lot of guys out. I got to do more. And really that's how do you convince your, your good players that that's counterproductive? Yeah. Sometimes doing more, you know, that means you're taking more chances and and now all of a sudden you're not doing the things that give you success. And, um, you know, I think there has to be balance there, no matter what the situation is, whether the team's playing well or struggling or, you know, personnel doesn't allow you to do what you normally do. Um, the, the biggest thing is, um, for me is just to make sure that you're, you're, you're playing your game and, and, uh, you know, be, be a, uh, good person in the room on the ice, you know, don't let the frustration creep into your frustration, creep into the younger players that are you know, coming up and, and, you know, trying to, uh, help the team and, and, you know, do, do what you can to, to make sure that, uh, you know, everybody's pulling the same way. And, and, um, you know, if you, if you're coming to the bench and you're banging your stick and slamming the door, you know, that's not going to help anybody. You spent the last six years coaching, uh, the Flyers affiliate in Lehigh Valleys, which meant you played Bridgeport an awful lot in those six years, uh, probably more times than you could count. And I think a lot of complaints, I guess, frustrations from Islander fans, at least in the recent times, is that the Bridgeport team under Brent Thompson hasn't succeeded enough. They haven't produced enough. Maybe it hasn't been enough of a flow of, of good prospects up to the NHL. It's certainly debatable um, whether they had enough good prospects and you are busy coaching your team. But when you've played against Tomer's teams over the last few years, um, do you see a similarity between what you see with, with the Barry Trotz coached Islanders when they've been going well the last three years? Um, well, the one thing, uh, I can say, <laughs> I, I hated playing Bridgeport because <laughs> I, I knew every game it was going to be a grind. Um, they work as hard as any team that, that I coach against in the American Hockey League. And that's been, whether it was Trotz that was there or, or Cappy, um, there were no easy games and they play hard for them. They block a ton of shots, more shots than any, any team that we play. Um, they four check as hard as anybody. Um, you know, like I, I always found it to be a grind and, and the one thing that, uh, with the exception of maybe one year, um, they've been a team that's had a, a big turnover of players from an injury standpoint. Um, and not just, you know, the older guys, like a lot of the young guys have been in and out of the lineup and, and, uh, you know, so I, 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 I have a lot of respect for, for Tom. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, I don't think he's had a, a situation where you could say that they they've had a full team just because of the circumstances of the injuries that they've had. And um, I know when that, I think it was, I think it was my first year back in Lehigh. They, you know, they put together a pretty good year. And um, so that, that's really been the only time that I've, I've been able to say that, you know, he's had a, a full deck of cards to work with. Um, you know, as far as, you know, I, I would think that, uh, as a coach, uh, in the NHL, you know, the one thing that, uh, you can pretty much assume that when a player goes up, they, they're going to play the right way and they're going to work hard and they're going to compete. And I, I think he, you know, that's an important part of development because a lot of, you know, a lot of guys, I, I you know, just watching Wallstrom, uh, play in, in the game, last three games and, 
and uh, and then you know having seen him play in Bridgeport at times, they're two different players. Like there's a there's a lot more compete and responsibility in his game than what there was before. And uh, you know, so obviously, uh, you know, Thomas done. A, I think he's done a pretty good job with him. And and I and I know just from uh, talking to people that saw Wallstrom when he was with the um, Team USA um, that he was, you know, there was going to be some work there because they were, you know, they were given free reign uh, to do and make plays as they as they wanted. And uh, you know, that's a that's a hard thing to change from when when that's the way you've been, you know. To, taught to go out and maybe play with a little less responsibility and try to be creative. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got to pull back on that a little bit because once you get to the NHL, you know, those creative, uh, carefree plays, they get you on the bench pretty quickly. You've, uh, you've had a ton of success, uh, coaching in the AHL first with Providence before you were with the Islanders and then with Lehigh Valley, you know, success, uh, in the AHL is sort of relative, I guess. Um, you know, obviously you want it as a coach and the, the organization wants it and the players certainly want it, but it's not necessarily the most important aspect of what you're doing. Um, how hard is that balance to maintain when when you know that, you know, winning games is, is always huge at every level, but, um, you know, the organization may be looking for some different things out of your games that you're coaching? Uh, I, I think the, the the winning part of it, um, wanting to win that just uh, helps your your team identity your culture uh, the atmosphere um, when you're in part of a successful team there's there's just a, a completely different pulse within the team and you know, it doesn't mean you have to be in first place but when you're when you're struggling and, and uh, you're not making playoffs you know you you tend to get, you can get into more individual play. And so that's, you know, to me, the, the thing that you, you have to have balance in, in making sure that your, your team is competitive and you're, you're playing the right way. Cause ultimately, you know, the message that I'm giving the guys is, you know, we, you can go out there and do whatever you want, but it's, it's not going to necessarily help you get to the NHL because if you're in these situations and you're doing some of the things that we talk about that are going to hold you back, then you're not going to progress as a player enough to, to, to be able to stick in the NHL. And, um, you know, as, as easy as it is to say that it's a constant conversation. You, you do this, you know, if not on a, on a daily basis, a weekly basis, uh, whether it's one-on-one or through your video sessions. And, um, you know, so, you know, to me that, you know, just keep, you, you keep hammering home that, that mindset and, uh, usually the winning follows follows you and uh you know so i i think that there's got to be balance between the two and uh that you know ultimately gets you the most development of the players when you are winning because their enthusiasm to play the game is a lot higher than if you're in an environment where there's constant losing well uh this has been an insightful and informative first show scott very excited to have you here it's been uh I'm happy that you're available to us, but also not happy that you're somewhere coaching. I believe you're sixth or seventh all time in wins in the AHL. So uh, we're happy that you're spending your downtime with us at least for every every time every Tuesday this December. So uh, and hopefully there'll be some more Islander games to actually talk about, so we can dig in a little more on that once they get going. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's uh, it's funny when you ask me. I 
you know, I didn't know what to expect or how it was going to, how you're going to do it. And as I started watching uh, the three games that I watched uh, prior to, you know, them shutting down, I, it was good because I actually had an objective as I was watching the game, not just from the Island standpoint, but just seeing different styles of play and, and how it was effective. Uh, you know, I'm looking, I primarily was looking at how the Islanders were coming out of their zone and, and next thing you know, you're you're contrasting that with the opponent, whether it be Toronto, Pittsburgh, or or the Rangers. And uh, you now you can see, you know, it it doesn't all have to be the same, but there's there's certain things that have to happen for teams to be successful. So it's been a it's actually been a uh, you know kind of refreshing to to be away from it, but be a part of it enough to know that uh, hey, this is what other teams do, and this is why it's working. And you know, I. Just that whole, you know, I, I, I always talk to my team about you know, getting into a three-quarter ice game and, and uh, you, you see it happening. What, you know, what, what snowballs that allows a team to all of a sudden, you know, be able to play from their blue line into the offensive zone versus the opposition only being able to play from the defensive zone to um, your, your blue line. And uh, so it's been, it's been good. All right. Well, I want to say to everybody, thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash Belmont. We've got Scott Gordon, Arthur Staple. We'll be back again next week and hopefully some Islander games breakdown for you. See you then. Thanks. Thanks.